Welcome back to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser, and my guest this week is Nellie Johnson. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist for the state of California. She holds a master's degree from Texas A&M in counseling psychology. Although she loves working for the state, she plans to pursue her spiritual coaching career full-time in the near future. Mrs. Johnson's passion is to empower people by cultivating their self-awareness needed to establish happy and healthy relationships. She also believes that the foundation to all relationships stems from the relationships we have with ourselves. Mrs. Johnson was in foster care at the age of 18, and it's her own history with trauma that fuels her passion to help others. Everybody, please welcome Nellie. Nellie, I'm so thankful that you're here. Seriously, I have been trying to pin down Nellie. <laughs> I think for about two years now. <laughs> Paola, I mean, you were contagious from the very, well, I'll be honest, the first time I saw you, I was like, wow, because you have beautiful skin. Oh, and people you. don't know that. <laughs> they need to know. Like Paola's skin, don't compare yours to hers. <laughs> that's the very first thing I noticed. Isn't it funny how we all notice different things? Just to tell, you know, that's something that we look at and, you know, other people, not the hair, not everything else. But I was like, wow. So thank you. I am honored to be here. I'm so grateful. I met Nellie probably about two years ago at an event. And I just remember thinking we were both asked to speak on a panel. And I actually turned it down. Like, I think the day before I got filled with fear and I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I, I didn't do it. But as I sat in the room and watched Nellie tell her story, I was like, wow, she has so much like bravery to speak about what she's been through and so much courage and just this confidence about her. And I was like, she's like my soul sister. I should have done this. Like, and so I remember getting the courage to talk to you afterwards and saying like, oh my gosh, you, you encouraged me and you inspired me because it just takes one person to really be vulnerable, to encourage others to be vulnerable as well. And I just wanted to say thank you for that because you really did inspire me that day when you spoke about your past. And, and I'm so I'm beyond honored to be able to share you with my audience. So please tell us about your fearless female journey, Nellie. Well, thank you. Thank you for that because we really don't, you know, see ourselves like that. But, you know, really what I wanted to make sure that I get on here is is that to to say if I can do it and there's nothing special or different about me. And so when people hear the story, they think it's it's about her. And so it isn't. It is about, like you said, just God. And I felt like the universe had just brought me here. And I was born in El Salvador. You know, that's where I was born. And my mom had left me over there when I was like a year old. And at the age of eight, she goes back and and that's common in Spanish countries where parents will leave the kids and come work in America and then save enough money for the coyote. And that's for any listener that doesn't know, that's that absolute stranger you pay money to to bring your loved one across, you know, the U.S. border. So we come in with a coyote, me and my sister. And so here I am, eight years old. And I'm like in a new country with a lady I had, I didn't remember my mother and hearing a language that I've never even heard, you know, Spanish is all I knew. And so it was just a very traumatic experience that was very difficult. And so I remember that my mother, you know, I'm, I'm getting to know her for the very first time. 
and she's combing my hair. And this is the very first memory that I have of my mom. And she's combing my hair. And my grandmother had taken care of my long, thick, black hair. I'm with avocado and mayo and all things in El Salvador. And so we're, she's combing my hair. My mom's combing my hair. And I was moving. I'm eight years old, maybe eight and a half by now, pushing nine. And she has this big wooden brush in her hand. And she goes, you know, para de moverte, stop moving. And I keep moving. And so she turns that brush around and smacks me right on the head with the brush. And I'm telling you, Paola, that was the very first physical pain I had ever experienced in my life. Oh my gosh. Well, for everyone who's Hispanic, we've all had <laughs> a brush to the head. <laughs> I mean, when as you're saying that, like literally my skin is crawling because my mom, same thing. Like I had long black hair too. And anytime I squirmed or moved, I mean, I got the brush to either the back of the head or the shoulder or it was, it was normal. But I mean, I thought it was normal because not only did she do it to me, she did it to my sisters and I watched my cousins get smacked with a brush too. And now looking back, I mean, I'm sure you're like, I wouldn't dare do that to my children. Can you imagine what we normalize as children because we're exposed to it? So, Mm -hmm. you know, that was, or the chancla, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And for those who speak English, it's the sandal. sandal, (laughs) It's like taking off your sandal. Chancla means sandal. So when you experience the chancla, it means you're getting a whooping with a sandal in her hand. (laughs) And so... That was the very first time. And the brain has a very powerful, whenever a memory is trapped with an emotion, especially a negative one, you know, it's it's trapped in, in there. And that began a series of like really unfortunate. That's when the really the physical abuse began. My mother was only repeating a cycle that is very common. And in the Latino community, I brought you in. And I will take you out in Spanish. You know, I'm translating a lot of the, because, you know, all this, my mom to this day, she doesn't speak English. And I I think that there's like a barrier because she doesn't want to learn. So that's when physical abuse just got worse as I got older to where there was times where, you know, I was bleeding. We ended up at the ER one time because she hit me on the head with an iron. And so I was only like 11. And so she said, you better, you know, tell them you fell off the bike. And so you're just, keep in mind that I'm trying to learn English. I am still mourning the fact that I was stripped from my grandmother. My grandmother had raised me, God rest her. So all these things, and I'm still, I don't even know who this lady is. You know, it's physical abuse really deposits anger. Whenever I, I'm dealing with a client and they're having a lot of anger, I just have so much anger. You know, that is usually, uh, there's physical abuse somewhere in there. That's what I've learned. And so we get back and the physical abuse continues. And we were living at the time in Los Angeles with my mom, my sister, and my mom's boyfriend. So my mom's boyfriend had always said, do your homework, is your homework done? Is your homework done? And yes, yes, it's always done. But that relationship was unhealthy. There was violence in that. And one of the things that, 
now in the DSM, which is what therapists use to diagnose, is that even if you're exposed to something, it counts. That can give you PTSD as well. So you don't have to be the one suffering it. You can have witnessed it and that can leave the exact same, you know. Imprint. Yes. And trauma. Absolutely. But he never hit you. No. It was just his abuse towards your mother. Towards my mother. Me and my mom, only glory to God that we have a relationship that we have now because there wasn't a time that if, you know, I just didn't talk to her at all. I didn't care to. Well, it was probably all the anger you had towards her. And I completely relate because I had the same type of anger towards my mother for years. And it wasn't until, you know, my age 35, 36 that I realized she didn't care. <laughs> like the anger and the bitterness and the hatred I had towards her was, it was only welling up in me. She was living her life like, you know, and, and you realize this as you get older, but I, I wasted years years of my life being angry towards somebody who had no clue I was angry. And you know, it's important. I say a lot of people, if you have a listener that says, well, how do I fix all that? I feel like it's really beneficial to talk to your mom and say how you feel, but they don't get to tell you. My mom knows now that she doesn't get to tell me how I felt. That's That was my truth at the time. I never remember getting an embrace from my mother. And I love you, never. And just so you know, Paula, once a child has one form of abuse, another one is around the corner. So my mom's boyfriend, this particular night, like any other night, did you do your homework? And I remember saying, yeah. And he used to always touch my head. And he said, you know, I don't like that your mom treats you like that. And I said, I know. He's like, I always try to protect you. And I said, I know. I want to make you feel good. (sighs) My stomach, my heart just dropped. (laughs) Paola, his hand moved from my head to my breast. And that night, something inside me died. How old were you? Ten, like ten and a half. And I was never, I was never the same. And I will never be. What people don't know about sexual trauma is that you have to mourn the loss of your innocence. You know, it was shattered and it was taken from you. There's a lot of women that have sexual trauma that sometimes can suppress memories so deep, but it it manifests itself. In other areas like your health and absolutely, I totally believe that. And how do you address something that you're not even... Some women and men, because, you know, I've, I've talked to men that have also been victims, but you, you're not even, you don't want to talk about it. Well, what's the point of talking about it? What's, what's the point now? There's no point. It happened. It's manifesting in your relationships. And our sex, we are sexual beings and all that gets just trampled over, you know, and we're not really even aware of what's going on. And everything is just one big trauma. It's it's all mixed in there together. So did your mother find out or did you speak to anyone about what happened with the boyfriend? No, she didn't know till I told my pastor and it was right after my quinceanera because I remember having a quinceanera. That time, people don't understand that I was still the word and I and people say that's not what it is, but it's called it was called illegal back then. I know that Today, it's called undocumented. 
But I, <laughs> I want you to know that the word that I was hearing growing up was, you're illegal. You know, I paid to get you over here, you know, and we don't want to, you know, get you deported because they'll deport you immediately. And that fear, it paralyzed me. Oh, I'm sure, especially as a child. Like I read the book by Trevor Noah, uh, Born a Crime, because he was born half black, half white in South Africa, where there was an apartheid. And it's just like, he said, like, he felt like just worthless, you know, and when you're told as a child, you're illegal, or you're a crime, or you shouldn't be here. I mean, those words, people don't understand that words have so much power. And when you implant them or imprint them in a child's mind, it forever makes you have this fear of, well, then why? You know, it's, it's such a contradicting, especially if you go to church as a little kid and you're in church and they're telling you how God loves all children, but then you, you go back to this environment and you're like, if God loves all children, then why am I here in this environment where I'm either getting molested or getting abused or being told that I'm nothing, you know, and that I'm an illegal and that you should have all this fear. So it's, it's kind of such a, a mental just, I, I can't even describe it. I want to say a bad word, but I don't want to. <laughs> it's a mind. The only word that comes to my mind is the F word. <laughs> it's, it's truly, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. And I want you to know, I didn't even talk about it till when I was in grad school, I had to do a paper and I had to get therapy myself. And I went to therapy. So as a foster kid at 15, and a half, I enter foster care. And when I tell you that there was such a culture shock, like I had never seen any other race in Los Angeles besides Latinos. And then when we moved to the Antelope Valley, it was, there was like a lot, you know, Caucasian people here. So, but you see them like kind of from afar and you only know what you know. And with my mom, Like I said, not only was there the, you know, the physical and now the sexual, my mom had the worst like temper. She would say things, detrimental things that I'm still to this day plucking those weeds. I'm going to say this in Spanish, you know, and then I'll translate it. No sirves para nada. And that means you're right. You don't, you're, you're worthless. You know, you're worthless. And that was imprinted in me. Paola. So to the core of who I am, that when a woman has low self-esteem, you know, there's women that say, oh, I have high self-esteem. I'm going to tell you if that's true or not by the way you let people treat you, by the way you set boundaries, you know, it's all those things are really, you know, they're built on your level of self-love and your self-esteem. And so when these adults in our life, you know, they don't, when they hurt us instead of protect us, we don't hate them. We hate ourselves. Because you think there's something inherently wrong with you because you're you're just like, I don't get it. For me, it was the same thing. My mom would say the most, God, I mean, it wasn't just the physical abuse. It was the mental abuse. And I always tell people like the physical abuse the blood and the bruises and scratches, they all heal and the scabs will, you know, fall off. But the mental abuse, the words that are imprinted in our mind, and like you said, even to this day, you're still trying to pluck those weeds from your 
you know, beautiful garden that is your mind. I am the same way. I'm 40 years old. I have the tools. I've been to therapy. I mean, you actually have degrees in the, in the field and it yet it's still so hard. So that's why I keep saying the words, not only that you say to yourself, but the words that you allow other people to say to you are so powerful and can damage you for the rest of your life if you are not careful. So was the reason why you got into foster care because you told your pastor that you were being molested? Yes. So he calls my mother and tells her. She comes home, picks me up and takes me to the park and starts beating me. No way. And yes, yes. And, you know, for her, I think that she just... It, it was a little bit and and I've told her this and she's like, no, and she's she has such a but I felt like she was hitting me like I was the other woman versus like I'm your daughter. He didn't know me. She did. You know, it was her. She's the one that needed to protect me, you know, so. Like you said, a few minutes ago, the, the the physical stuff and the bruises and that, I mean, I was like, I could care less, but I thought she doesn't even, she doesn't even care. And I will tell you that I felt like she knew before then, but my mom, you know, we have, like I said, now that we have such a different relationship, she's like, no, I did not. And she says no. So I believe her. So I didn't get my green card or, and it was, it's not really green, but till like, I want to say like 18. It's always illegal for undocumented for many years. And looking back, I can see she didn't have a good job. You know, it was just like, you know, cleaning houses, doing this, wherever she can kind of get in, have this person that's paying all the bills. And, you know, that is what you're bound, you know, that, that you, what do you do? Where do you go? I don't blame her. I don't blame her at all. But I did for a long time. I didn't speak to her. And, and that was because I was just, you know, there were so many reasons I was angry. And, and our home was so dysfunctional. Everything in the home was dysfunctional. And like you said, you, you start thinking that's normal. You know, like the, the yelling. And they were not married. So funny thing is I was telling a friend this and she goes, you didn't know. I didn't know that people really got married. I thought that was like something like for the movies because you don't see too many people. There was not too many people even then that, that, that were married. Everyone's like, you know, just kind of cohabitating, but not married, married. So were you the only one that was sexually abused or, or did your sister? It came out later, Paola, that she later was also she was also molested but she had run away with her boyfriend and like I said now me and my mom have put you know two and two together that that was you know the reason why we think she left but she didn't say anything Mm. so now at 15 you're removed from your home and placed in a foster home tell us about your experience there that's one of the happiest stories I mean, I can't tell you, Jane and Ron Ellis, to this day, I still talk to them. They are definitely the reason why I am who I am now. And this is like, I'm in Walden. Walden was the name of the agency. And I'm getting in the car. They pick me up with five other girls with them. 
they only take teenagers. And so we get in the car. I have my bag of clothes in a trash bag. And we get in the car. And it was, I remember it was like Halloween, but right before Christmas. So I I just remember that it was Halloween had just passed. And that I had been in like a temporary home and we get in the car and I'm in the back, back third seat of this van, this old van. And they're in the front and my foster sisters introduce themselves. And I'm still in touch with my foster sisters that are alive. One of them committed suicide two years ago. And we get in the car and they start singing. Grandma got run over by a reindeer <laughs> coming home. And I was like, what is going on? That memory has imprinted in me because I had never seen that where they're and they're all jolly and singing. And I'm like, what kind of what is, what am I in? But it was so healthy and loving and it was a complete culture shock completely and I maybe this is what like you know I did I was like maybe this is like how my people do it I did I said <laughs> I'm like I had never I had never 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 and my experience with them was absolutely amazing amazing they were so loving It's funny that you say that because growing up, you know, people who knew me from junior high and high school, I wanted so bad to be white because of the fact that I just thought the reason why I'm in an abusive home and a toxic environment, the reason why is because I'm Mexican. But if I grew up white, it would have been completely different. I had television that would, you know, paint this pretty picture of white families and how they were just eating at dinner. and yes. And all together. Yeah. And it's just like, but I've interviewed women who were white and grew up in just the same toxic environment as I did. So it really doesn't have to do with race. It just has to do with, you know, having the tools to be just more loving and compassionate and, you know, patient individuals versus color, you know? And so it's good to hear that you had this amazing environment in foster care because, I mean, not everybody has the same story when it comes to foster care. So you had this amazing environment with your foster sisters, which I love that you called them your foster sisters. You know, at what point did you decide, I'm going to go into psychology and I'm going to do this and help people? I was the oldest one there because the other ones were younger, like 14, and our once I talked to them, they all mirrored, our childhoods all mirrored each other, just so you know. So I'm exiting out of foster care and I ended up going to, it, it was another foster mom, but she wasn't getting paid for me. She just let me stay there, but she was still a foster mom. And that was Ruth Holbrook. And she also just, when I tell you that it's another lady that added poured into my life. I can see how God in the end has already had put everything together. Like for a long time, I just thought I was a mistake, you know, like I should be here. And why was I even here? And who am I? And when you're left like that and trauma does that. So my point, and if anyone hearing this, is that sometimes trauma can leave you so you don't know who you really are. When I ask people, who are you? And they are looking at me with blank eyes. Like, I don't know, aren't, that, aren't you supposed to tell me? And they're 
that's when I know that there there's trauma when children are raised and really just I'm not saying perfect, but just healthy. You know, where they get those nurturing building blocks, they they come to just have a sense of self-awareness. They know who they are. So she took me in after because ILP and ILP independent living program, uh, it was like new. I was like the guinea pig in the Antelope Valley. And my roommate for the ILP, Tashana Scott, I will never forget. We were the guinea pigs in that time in the Antelope Valley. And I ended up pregnant and I got kicked out. Now it's different. Now foster care is till you're 24. But back then there was none that you got kicked out. Like, good luck. See you later. I'm glad to hear that it's to 24 now because I I was under the impression that it was still under 18. And once you were 18, they gave you your bag and they were just by, you figure it out on your own, which is the reason why a lot of homeless are 18 year olds, basically they have no clue and they don't give them the tools on how to really function in society, like how to start a resume, how to look for a job, how to take care of yourself. So it's really encouraging to know that it doesn't just stop at 18 anymore and that it goes on to 24. There was obviously a lot of laws and Senate bills that have passed since then, but you know, I was one of those so now I'm I'm pregnant by some random guy. You know, one of the about girls, you have sexual trauma and you never really deal with it. You know, it's like you don't value what what sex is. You don't value it because eh, whatever. It, it doesn't mean anything to you. So, anyways, I have a kid now, and I remember Ruth said, I'm gonna help you either way, whatever way you decide. And so I decided to keep my son and then He was three. I want to say he was three when I met my ex-husband and I got married and we were married for 14 years. But what I will tell you is that one of the things, if I'm being really honest with you and here and in the moment, is that your sexuality is is muted, is stifled by your sexual trauma. I, I used to have a lot of flashbacks and I will tell you that he was so understanding. And, but I know that looking back, I said, wow, I just, I probably needed to heal more and I didn't know. So before anyone enters a relationship, I say, do some, like I said, self-awareness is self-love because people say, well, what does self-love really mean? It, It just really has to do with really understanding you. What are some of your values? What has happened to you that has shaped the woman, the man that you are today? So I ended up, I love teenagers. That's one of my areas that now that, you know, so I ended up a juvenile probation officer. I went and I got my bachelor's in criminal justice and I was married. Yeah, I was married and I wanted to quit boot camp because you have to go through the boot camp. You know, you're doing push-ups, you're running. And I was like, I'm going to quit. I want to quit. And he was like, no, no, no. You want to do this. You want to do this. You want to do this. And like I said, I have nothing but love for him. We are great. We co-parent together. He is remarried and I love her too now, you know, but he was like, no, 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 keep doing it. Keep, you know, stay strong. So in 2006, the end of 2006, 2007, I began Los Angeles County as a juvenile probation officer. But I, you know, when I do something, you can see my heart, you can feel my energy through 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 this. You know, you know that I'm there 
I used to do overtime at the girls camp. So I'm here looking at a little girl that was me back in the days, but she got in trouble because the difference between them is that they actually break the law where I didn't break the law. I wanted to talk to the kids. You couldn't really talk to them. You you only had a certain amount of time and you couldn't really dive into really helping them because there was, yeah, it just, as a PO, you were just like, it's more law enforcement. Foul. I was just like, okay, come on, you know. So I used to teach classes. There was these classes that were called leaps and I used to teach them just because there was like social skills. Like a lot of the kids don't even know how to say I'm sorry, how to apologize. Well, they grew up in an environment probably with parents who never apologized and never said they were sorry. And I just interviewed another woman who said it's a generational curse. And I love her name is Ashley Riker. She was just on the podcast. And I love that she said that it's a generational curse. Because it goes back, you know, to your grandparents, to your parents. And if you're not given the tools on how to, like you said, socially interact, to not yell, to not hit, you know, like, because a lot of the people like for me, I grew up in a very abusive, like, it was common, if you got pissed off, just raise your hand and smack them or sock them or pull their hair. It was common. It wasn't uncommon to do that. And so, you know, when you're in society, now you're outside of the house and somebody, you know, gets mad at you. I mean, my sister used to get into huge like fist fights and cat fights with girls at school because it was how we saw, learned and thought that's how you react to situations. What people don't know is that by the time you're like eight, you have a good idea of the world. So when someone has, let's say they have anger management, I say, well, where did you learn that from? Because it's just a matter of unlearning. You don't throw away the whole human being. It's just, I just, you have to just unlearn things. So you've learned it. Like you said, can you imagine that is so common? You pick up something, you throw them. There's always violence. The undertone is violence. Of, of just what you were saying that you grew up in, you know? And so we learned that. And so these children in this criminal justice system, they don't have none of that. And they saw a lot of what I had lived. And so I was very just passionate about, you know, helping the parents, helping them, but it was just lack of time, lack of resources. So then my ex-husband was, by this time, he was a captain in the army. And we get stationed in Fort Hood. Yes, we we were in the station. That's why when all this thing happened with Vanessa Guillen, I'm like, we were there. So I know the military base really well. We were were stationed there and he was going to go to Iraq. He did like three tours to Iraq. It it took a toll on our marriage. And he said, well, you know, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm not going to work. That's for sure. I know I have to do something. And I just, I just remember praying and just asking God, like, where, where do I go from here? And he puts this passion in your heart for a reason. If you just quiet the mind, a lot of people don't know the direction. They're walking aimlessly. They don't know what to do. But if you really know how to like close your eyes and quiet your mind, you can really, your, your passion and your purpose is deep down in your gut, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that you said that because we do, if you meditate and quiet the mind and you actually just wait and ask for direction. I love that you said, I asked like, what, what do I do next? I think that we are all gifted with God's word in us. I mean, some people don't believe in God. You can call it the universe, the divine spirit. 
your inner guide, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but it's down there. It's in you. I don't get stuck on the names either. Yeah, it's in you. Yeah, it's in you and within you. Within you. Say that again. Yes, I got to clap to that. Yeah, within you is the answer. You just have to quiet the mind because it is within you. And I tell my clients this all the time, like we have this other part of our brain that like loves to tell us lies. I say they tell us lies like, and it's mostly it's trauma and negative past things that people have told us. And so it repeats it over and over. So it stops us. It gives us self-doubt, fear. It makes us have anxiety, depression. And so then it stops us. But when you could quiet that, those lies and that piece of your brain and just stay quiet and wait. And like you said, you ask for the questions, guide me, what am I supposed to do next? The answers will come. And it's not like a verbal, it's not like Jesus opens up the heavens and it's like, well, here's the answer. This is what you're supposed to do. No, it's just like all of a sudden you'll either read something, you'll watch something, somebody will say something to you. I call like Oprah calls it the whispers of the world. Somebody will say something to you. And it's almost like if you are open and you are aware, you'll start to catch it. Like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Or I'm supposed to take this class or I'm supposed to make this phone call or I'm supposed to apply to this job. And and then it'll just, it's like the unfolding of your life. I, I mean, I just, I really believe in that. And the more that I look back at my life, you know, Travis calls it the dots. You know, you look back at the dots, they all will connect, but you have to stop resisting and stop trying to make it what you think it should be because we are just... <laughs> Yeah, we end up hurting ourselves. It's terrible, right? So you're in Fort Hood, Texas now, and you don't know what you're going to do next. I just want to emphasize what you said, that the answer is within you. That is beautiful. And so I just wanted to point that out. And so I started my... So in California, we have LCSWs. People don't know the difference between an LCSW, which stands for Licensed Clinical Social Worker, or LMFTs, which is a Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. When you're in a military base, all they hire is LMFTs. So the only program that Texas A&M had at the time was, you know, LMFT program. Because military bases are focused on the family. The families are falling apart here. And so we need to keep it together, our military families, because of the, you know, overseas coming here. By the time my husband was back home, it'd be like, listen, I have a system here, buddy. Can you get with the program? And then (laughs) right when he was settled in, it was time for him to go again. And, you know, just being married young and everything. But So while he's over there, he comes back, I go. And so I'm in school, I finish school and my marriage is falling apart. So that is something that I've had to really just forgive myself. And we've talked about it. You know, I'm really blessed that we were able to get closure, both of us, not in the beginning, but towards the end, like, you know, you know, it's time and we just talked about it. There was too much that had happened and we just let it go. So I ended up divorced. How old were you when you got divorced? I was, it was five years. So I was like 37, 30, 35, 36, almost 37. It was like, a, I call that period the dark ages because I don't wish that on anyone. Like I'm telling you, think of, think of my enemy and I don't even have any, but I would not wish that on absolutely no one. I mean, think about starting over 
everything from finances, emotional, just everything starting over. And here I was. So then I was in Texas looking for a job in California because my mom is here. My sister's here. So I was like, I have to move back to California. And I got a job. I got over the interview. I begged the lady. I mean, I feel like I called her 50 times. So she probably felt sorry for me. She's like, let me give this lady the job. (laughs) (laughs) And I ended from Texas to California. I moved here that December 2012. So that December 2013 was my first year where I started 2013. And I started as a foster care social worker. Can you imagine? See how the dots that you said your husband talks about those dots. Here I am. I'm like it. Now I am the foster care social worker that comes, talks to the kids every week. And that was definitely every single job that I've had has been one of those dots. And so I, I do that till, and, and so like I told you, in California, they have a rigorous program. You have to do 3,000 hours. They don't care if you have your master's degree. They don't, they're like, okay, and you have, you have to do 3,000 hours to make sure that you're not crazy, that you set boundaries. There's a lot of therapists that cross boundaries, and they themselves have stuff to deal with. Someone said one time, like a professor said, you know, the craziest people are therapists. And I was like, well, great. What, what does that mean? You know? <laughs> oh, well, that makes me feel good. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so that's what you have to. So there's external learning. So external means that I keep it right here, separate from me. And so I'm able to help everybody else here, whoever needs, who, who needs help. But my own life is a mess. And so how you merge the two together for me. And I encourage everyone is to have a spiritual foundation. That's it. Like you said, and I love it because I don't get stuck in the names. I used to do private practice for Kaiser, whether we call it the universe that, you know, the higher power, you know, what call it whatever you want, but it's, it's in you. It's, it's there. You know what I mean? And it never leaves you. And so that is where for me, true healing came. I started to do a lot of the work, the internal work when I got back to California and I started to do that, you know, I had a lot of internal work to do to my own childhood, my every, I felt like I was vomiting emotionally. I was vomiting my childhood, my marriage, my life, where am I going and and all this. And here I'm holding a master's degree and it didn't mean nothing. I sat in my room one time in the dark and I cried and I cried and I cried and and I surrendered. That was, that was, yeah, I was like, I surrender. Once you stop, like you said, so powerful, you said that you gave me like chills because once you stop fighting that, it's like you're just releasing. I surrender to your will, your will, not mine. Everything started to fall into place. I love it. I really, it's, it's sad because a lot of people have to get to the dark ages or hit rock bottom before they finally let go. And, you know, as you're telling your story, I just, I, you know, as you're sitting there, I can imagine you in a dark room and and that's how it was for me, you know, just being in a dark room in my small studio apartment and just bawling my eyes out because you just have, you've given up, like I've done everything and you feel like you're, you've done everything right. And yet you still keep hitting the same wall, you know, and it's like a lot of people don't understand. It's like, how much longer are you going to do the same thing and expect different results? 
you know, and that's the one thing that I realized I, I kept doing the same thing and I was expecting different results. And finally, I just let go. And my whole life has changed since that moment. To me, I tried to tell this to my clients. I tried to tell this to the people that I mentor. And, you know, I, some of them are very stubborn and they will not stop what they're doing. They don't want to surrender. And the the clients that do surrender, I mean, I could see the magic and how it's changed their lives and how everything has turned around for them. But the key thing is stop doing what you're doing. <laughs> you know, just stop doing what you're doing and expect different results. Surrender to the unfolding of your life, you know? So as we wrap up this episode, you have so you've had such an incredible journey and I'm so thankful that you shared it here with my audience. What would you say would be your nugget of wisdom that you would like to leave with the women that you learned on your journey as a fearless female? For sure, hands down, that part of your self-awareness journey is self-love. So I'm going to give you something tangible for anyone hearing. Write your life story down from this is has such healing power. Trust me, you got to just from beginning, like if you're writing your bio and I'm not telling you to, to do anything, but you have to start this. Start releasing, emptying out everything, write down everything, because what's going to happen is that there's going to be moments where you'll start writing and you might just start crying. And that's where self-awareness and self-love starts. You have to release that. So start writing it down, you know, from beginning to end. And I tell some of my clients, like even do a timeline of where, because it can be so overwhelming. Just start from zero to five. What do you remember? Okay. And make little, like a chart. What do you remember? Five to 10. What do you remember? And you have, you would be surprised what the, what your mind is so powerful that in dreams, they've remembered other stuff and they've added stuff, you know, start writing it down just like it's your own biography. I think that's a, a, a great nugget of wisdom. And it does have so much healing power within writing down your biography. And also what's great about it is that there's no one to tell you that that's not how you're supposed to feel. Yes, yes. And that's what I'm saying. You're you're releasing it. And I'm telling you, we've I, this is proven but over and over. You have the same, some people get stuck because it's so painful. Push through the pain. It's like you have we have to be, you know, courageous and fearless and push through that pain. Because at the other side, the rainbow's on the other side. Oh, I love that. I love, love, love that, Nellie. Seriously, there is so much healing and writing down your journey. You don't have to share it with anybody. Yeah, no, you're not sharing it. This is for this is for you. No, no, this is for you. I mean, you don't have to share it or publish it or anything. This lady's like, who's going to? I was like, this is for you. Keep it somewhere. It's just for you. But put pen and paper. Put a pen and paper. And if you do want to share it, you can call me and be on the podcast. No, just kidding. Um, but seriously, quick shout, out. <laughs> quick shout out. But no, but seriously, there's so much healing with writing down your thoughts and your own memories. Because for a long time, I would tell people what happened to me, especially with my sisters, because I come from a big family. And they're like, that's not how it happened. And regardless of whether or not 
that's how, how it happened. It's how I perceived it to happen. It's the emotions that I felt. And that's how I carried it for the rest of my life. So that's why it's so healing to just write it down. Nobody needs to read it. You don't need to confide in your sisters or your brothers or your mom or your father or your stepfather, or your stepmother, how it actually happened. It's how you perceived it to happen. It's your emotions. It's your feelings. And you were allowed to feel that way at that moment. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. You can find me on Facebook, The Fearless Female Movement. You can find me on Instagram at Fearless Female Podcast. Nellie, how can my audience find you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Nellie Johnson or Instagram, ask underscore Nellie. And please connect with her. She has the most amazing Facebook lives. She breaks it down. She's just such a a light to have in your life. Thank you again, Nelly, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Tune in next week for another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. Goodbye. Goodbye.